of life for the workers in the poor. Come, brothers and sisters, we be done with waiting for. Dance finally come, won't have it anymore. Come, brothers and sisters, we be done with waiting for. There's a better way of life than the one we knew before. Come, brothers and sisters. Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. I'm your host Josh and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. Hope you enjoy the show. There's a better way of life for the workers in the How's it going, folks? Welcome to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation. I am your host, Josh, and I hope that you uh, are having a good day. I hope that you and yours are staying safe, staying healthy throughout these troublesome times, and uh, really trying to, you know, find ways to fight the alienation, the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety, and, you know, just the general awfulness of the uh, capitalist system as a whole uh, through collective activity and uh, base building in order to uh, pull yourself further into the social, political, and economic needs of your community and those around you. Um, Because I am finding myself, at least, that Although I um really have yet to join an uh, uh you know large scale organization, I am a part of a few organizations locally, uh which I've been able to grow relationships with folks in. I've been able to see kind of uh what some forms of organizing look like and how that kind of works out. I've been able to, especially with things like a community fridge understand how this is, you know, uh, unfortunately a band-aid fix and ultimately needs to be connected to a large uh, mass movement, which is ultimately able to be led by mass organization. Because um, as much as some of the, you know, uh, history of mass uprisings, of revolts, of, you know, riots, etc., if you want to call them that, although they're often called that 
by the oppressors, um, you know, the more machine-smashing, window-smashing-esque type of uh, events, although these do sometimes lead to change, it is not always what we can call permanent change, and it mostly stems from the fact that out of that action, the people did not acquire a steadfast political power able to hold those accountable to their word who have said things as if uh, things might change. And we are seeing that now in the United States with many different laws being uh, put into question, such as uh, the, of course, very important Roe v. Wade, uh, as well as other labor practice laws, the uh, union busting that Amazon and Starbucks and other companies have participated in is now, you know, a little bit more under the eye of the average person, and they're beginning to understand that the intimidation that they feel at their own job is not necessarily because of the one or two people who intimidate them at their job, but it is in fact built in to the very nature of the life that they are to live as a worker, which is of fear, which is of poverty and dependency. And this is something that I hope many of us are realizing can only be fought through actual organization, through actual solidarity work, not just posting on Facebook, not just recording podcasts, but in fact, finding ways to incorporate all of the means of struggling into building a organized front for an attack on the status quo. Because that's truly what we need. If you are listening to this show, it is because you recognize that revolution is the only option. And it is up to those of us here on Turtle Island to, de to dictate by what terms this revolution will be had. Um, I do not speak as a, uh, you know, member of the, uh, how do I want to say this? I, I don't come with anything more than my own understanding of the situation, so if you tend to disagree with some of my takes, or if you feel that someone else has similar takes but can speak to it in a much better way with more applicable experience, then by any means you can definitely go check out those shows. I uh, plan on starting the episode recommending a few shows which I have been listening to recently, um, as I have been doing uh, recently, so I um, will do that now. Um, so I've been able to grab a few videos recently. I uh, watched earlier today uh, my homie Ramiro Sebastian Poignez's stream uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics. Oops, just clicked on the video there. Um, I also listened to the Summit for Socialist Democracy uh, speech given by Luna Oi. I recently watched the Socialist Cuba in Eyewitness View, uh, also by Unmasking Imperialism, the homie Ramiro Sebastian Foynez. Um... These are all on YouTube, by the way. I'm trying to find... I'm on my um, subscription. I also watched uh, some of the recent People's Dispatch uh, videos, but they've been focusing on Julian Assange, and I'm as important of uh, you know event that 
the extradition of Julian Assange is proving to be, it is, uh, it, it's not the first time I've, like, tried to learn about this, so it's like, um, although it's new information, I, it's honestly not been my focus, although I do, uh, think that everybody should be paying attention to this because this is showing a clear uh, disavowalment of any international law by the imperialist nations. Now, of course, we know that this is nothing new, but it is, of course, important to people to point out to people that this is what is happening. It is these massive countries uh, that are just dictated in a way that serves the interests of the elite uh, capitalist and imperialist class and intends to continue doing so. And so when folks like Julian Assange, right, come out with uh, the information about uh, the U.S. State Department and what it's done along with other information that, you know, other quote-unquote whistleblowers have uh, released about the U.S. military-industrial complex or the uh, EU imperialist uh, system, um, it is clear that the objective then by the ruling class is to remove the threat, neutralize it however it can. I mean, the U.K. is planning on extraditing Assange to the United States, the country that recently admitted on, you know, unfortunately to them, because they didn't want to admit it, uh, it, it came about and they admitted in, in some forms that they in fact did plan on either capturing or killing Assange. Um, so there's that. Um, anyways, I, uh, let's see, what else have I been checking out on YouTube? I watched a few good videos and I can never find them. Uh, some Afro-Marxist videos, uh, Black History and Afrocentric View by John Henrik Clark, um, uh, let's see here, oh, jeez, well, there's a few in here that I've been able to watch over a period of time, so I'll name a few of those, I've been able to watch the Thomas Sankara documentary. I've been able to watch the Bobby Seale speech at the Oakland Auditorium. I've been able to watch uh, Kwame Ture speak on Unity, the video titled also uh, Eritrean People's Liberation Front. Uh, Betty Shabazz, Black Liberation and the Struggle in America. Um, and, and there's plenty of other great videos under the channel Afro-Marxist. And then, uh, Luna Oi put out again that video, The Summit for Socialist Democracy, and then she recently put out a video, How the USA Created Religious Extremism in Afghanistan, uh, among other videos that she's put out, uh, Comrade Luna. And, uh, and then, of course, I've been listening to, um, by any means necessary today, the episode titled From Starbucks to the Great Resignation, uh, Labor Seizes Its Power, um, I began to listen to, but I stopped because it was late at night, uh, Shut Down Red Hill, uh, by, uh, the Red Nation podcast, mm. 
that's really it that I've listened to in the last few days, but um, I've also been reading Soledad Brother continuously, and uh, I recently finished uh, Two Tactics of Social Democracy and the Democratic Revolution by Lenin, and um, I'm also working on The Origin of the Family, Private Property and the State by Frederick Engels. Um, two really cool works. I mean, two tactics of social democracy, of course, people will say serves no relevancy today, but I like reading Lenin because for me, he writes historical materialism very well, and I think that in the examples that he gives of what's happening in Russia at the time, uh, really show how we can begin to try to take, uh, uh, how we can take measurement of the situations we're enduring by actually seeing how Lenin and others in real time were analyzing the situations that were ha happening and being able to guide the masses of working people in Russia to an understanding of who was doing what for whom, uh, what the you know, developing uh, uh, reactionary versus revolutionary parties were like, what their main character was, who was their operating forces, what's, you know, roles. Oh, jeez, that's my furnace. I hate that that gets on here sometimes. But anyways, um, what, you know, the different roles of the groups of, you know, bourgeois versus petty bourgeois individuals, the peasants, the soldiers. Um, he did a lot. He wrote letters to the American working class. He wrote letters to the German working class and the German Social Democratic Party. Um, he did a lot. And, you know, the workers in Russia were um, receiving what Lenin and the Bolsheviks had to say and what they were doing quite well. And so they uh, on multiple occasions and for over 70 years, dedicated the um, tenacity, courage, and um, revolutionary spirit that it takes in order to lead a revolution and did so. Um, so for everything that Lenin is worth, he couldn't have done anything without the masses of people, and we must recognize this. Anyways, so I wanted to come on here and talk about a few things. I'm going to focus somewhat on the political situation that seems to be arising here in the United States. And I guess I shouldn't use the term arising because it's always been here. And that's kind of the main uh, argument that I'm going to be making. Uh, and the overarching subject matter is the fact that we have always and continue to be always engaged in class war. Part of that class war of which the ruling class seems to be dictating, dictating is subterfuges and forms of suppression in order to distract people from the reality of the situation around them. So it's clear by the recent continued uprising and uh, I should say um, continued increase in uh, unionization efforts across the United States 
um, that the average working person, and by that I mean a person whose life force is dependent upon selling their labor force to another employer in order to earn a wage for the purpose of meeting their humanly needs of food, water, shelter, medical care, education, and protection within society. So even though some folks may not be currently employed, we would still consider them to be working class because this is what class itself is most centered around the uh, relationship between a individual or a mass of individuals and the means of production. Therefore, um, if you yourself do not own a huge factory, if you are not the main, uh, uh, if you're not, you know, in control of the IMF or the World Bank or, you know, the United Nations, if you don't have a private military contracting company or in a resource, a resource uh, extraction firm, then you uh, do not really have much of a relationship to the means of production other than you are yourself a part of the means of production. You are employed just like any other tool by the capitalist class in order to produce the means of subsistence for the ruling class. Now, we ourselves, yes, get to go into a grocery store and buy things, get to go into a uh, home store and, you know, buy the materials we need to build a home, although not really, because for those of you who aren't, you know, thinking about that or don't know much about that, um, I worked at Lowe's for a year and I will tell you that good luck, because lumber and, you know, everything to do with building a home is so incredibly expensive for a plethora of reasons, which we will probably get into later on in the show. But anyways, um, it's important to recognize that all of this comes down to a few very key points. And I think um, we'll, we'll hit them in stride, but First and foremost, although the energy within most of the country uh, and most of the world, I mean, not to get sidetracked again, but if you look at South America, if you look at um, Africa, if you look at Asia, you see, again, also a huge rise in not only just labor struggles, but especially um, national struggles and um, socialist struggles and independent struggles and all sorts of um, mass-led fights for freedom. Excuse me. The difference being, ultimately, and I should I should say the difference maker 
being, are these groups aware and actively capable of creating revolutionary mass organizations which can capture the energy of movements happening within their you know national context in order to seize an opportunity to overthrow the system within their country as it is and take control as the mass of people themselves in a uh, what you know Marxists would call a dictatorship of the proletariat but in a true popular proletarian fashion where the masses of people are directly in control of the administration of the government themselves and for their own selves not because you know this or that colonizing country has paid their way through university and trained them in all the highest military academies and then sent them in so that they can be a minister of defense or so that they can be the you know general of an army and then have a military coup no we've seen that time and time again what we're looking for is a true grassroots movement which captures the essence of the struggle of not just plainly peasant you know uh, destitute folks but you know folks with working class jobs folks who are members of society maybe they go to university maybe they participate in academia but we have to understand that if you're in academia in some of these countries this is a one in a million life shot you know shot in life so i think our our uh western chauvinism quite shows when we look at individuals you know for example say in indigenous communities who go to college and get a degree and then you look at them and say oh well you know there's all kinds of I, I see folks from the Red Nation Jen Marley especially posting on uh, their story about you know uh, a meme about that and it's like you know that's the unfortunate thing is because these folks are trying to find ways to um, really you know build up their tools and and be able to really in this case just be able to enter into conversation because white folks and other you know folks in these positions don't listen to people who have real life experience they listen to people who wrote books they listen to people with phds so unfortunately a lot of people are forced to go through academia here in the united states one to be able to have a voice on their own life experience otherwise they're just shut out of any you know form of um any form of communication where the the things that they're conveying will even reach the the main you know f source of knowledge in in the public sphere but also on top of that to make a living i mean if you're someone such as myself such as many people who are much more well off and in in this sphere like doing better at you know spreading information understanding the situation than i am um if they want to pursue this in their life, you know, pursue changing the world, pursue activism and organization and actually taking on the status quo, you also have to be able to feed yourself. You also have to be able to put a house over your head and your family's head and your, you know, relatives' heads and be able to pay to, I don't know, have transportation on places such as like 
uh, reservations or oil and wood to have fires during the cold winter months. This is something that time and time again, indigenous folks are speaking to how, although, you know, e even though we can say that the average working person struggles in very similar ways, we see that, especially in North America, uh, um, the settler colonial states of Canada and the United States have made it very clear through law and through direct action as well that indigenous people uh, must suffer and they must suffer uh, you know at far higher rates than almost any other group within uh, the these colonized nations and so because of that you know you see uh, a lack of uh, internet or electricity you know I was listening to a uh, recent podcast by the Red Nation. I think it was the one on, um, oh, geez. It wasn't the one on the Red Hill. It was the one they released before that. I'll have to check right here. Um, I think it was... I believe it was Cop 26, 0 out of 10 sheep, Native Liberation, 10 out of 10 sheep. It was that one, or... Um, all out for Wet'suwet'en with Slato and Jen Wickham. One of those, uh, one of the callers was uh, staying. You know, obviously they live on. Uh, uh, this person lived on a reservation, and uh, because of that, and because of the uh, nature of the settler colonial state, um, they had difficulty tuning into the call because they kept losing internet connection because the resources that these folks, you know, very well could have if they were in control of their own communities and in control of their own resources um, are, you know, stripped from them through uh, colonization and imperialism. Uh, and so, you know, this is just kind of a little bit of a basis to the point that I'm trying to make, which is that it, in this way, um, we have to understand that there are uh, contradictions among the working uh, class as well, because if we ignore these contradictions, we see uh, time and time again that truly revolutionary and truly socialist countries come up against uh, barriers that are difficult to overcome and oftentimes can lead to uh, disastrous opportunities for, say, the CIA or the USAID or the National Endowment for Democracy or the uh, um, <laughs> Heritage Foundation or the United Nations or the EU or uh, some other group to come in and dominate over these groups of people and decide for them how it is they are going to have to develop their own uh, countries, how it is they are going to have to develop their own resources and how it is that they are going to live among themselves. This cannot be allowed to continue, but it also cannot be fought on an individual level. So, for example, the unionization efforts that are happening at Buffalo are truly uh, historical. It's the first time that such a place, uh, especially Starbucks, has been unionized, and so that's really important. However, the situation that comes up next is um, you know, how do we translate this into also, you know, for example, aiding other people's struggles in that situation outside of the workplace themselves? 
Obviously, a higher wage, benefits, things like this help to improve people's mental health. They help to improve people's physical health. They help to improve people's diet. They help to improve people's shelter. They help to improve people's, you know, uh, studies, etc. But there are issues of which, um, you know, individual struggles cannot take on uh, simply because they do not have the power to do so. And so I salute truly the workers in Buffalo for their efforts, and I hope to see them continue to do work in the area to be able to connect with the other groups that I know are doing great work out there. I have some comrades out there. Uh, shout out to Buffalo. Shout out to the homies um, who are, you know, organized and active in different political parties and different groups doing grassroots work. So I hope to see there uh, being a local uh, and community-wide developing relationship there because that's what we hope to see. Um, and I hope the folks that are organizing in the Starbuckses in Buffalo uh, and in Arizona as well, as I, I believe uh, I heard, I hope they can get the support from the local communities that they you know, really are requiring. Uh, speaking of which, um, and I, I guess I, I don't really want to go in too many specifics to um, the level of involvement that I have, but in my local area in Syracuse, there is a uh, group at a house known as, uh, or, or an apartment complex known as McCarthy Manor, uh, who are trying and have been trying for some time to get some real support uh, in order to get some much-needed improvements on their buildings, uh, you know, such as an elevator, uh, which requires uh, true inspection. Uh, the, the facility uh, has a overwhelming uh, amount of elderly and disabled folks, um, and so this elevator, having been haphazardly inspected, um, oftentimes, if inspected at all, has, you know, led to some concern by residents. There is also uh, bug infestations. Um, there is a lack of proper hot water. There is um, a lack of security for folks. Um, and there is also a intimidation factor because, as I'm learning, uh, is quite common and as many folks who may not be on any kind of housing assistance themselves may not know, one way in which the landlords are able to uh, take advantage of uh, folks who get Section 8, Section 8 housing assistance or, uh, say, the uh, uh, Emergency Rental Assistance Program here in New York or uh, who have uh, been accepted under the eviction moratorium, um, what folks like that tend to suffer in, in one way is if especially they're getting a direct check from the state, folks who are disabled or elderly who don't work, you know, um, my biological mother, for example, who has schizophrenia and is physically disabled, she can't work. So her check, uh, I believe this is true as well for her as, uh, as it is also for the folks at McCarthy Manor, that the check gets uh, basically sent directly to the landlord because in order to get the mail, the people have to sign for it. And then in order to do so, you're right there with the manager. And so the manager basically just sticks their hand out and says, you know, let me take my cut. 
And so anytime that there's a rent increase, anytime that there's a, a little bit of extra money in their checks, uh, or excuse me, anytime there is a little bit of extra money in their checks, there seems to be uh, a rent increase, funnily enough. And so uh, there is that intimidation factor that continues not only just in McCarthy Manor, uh, but also um, across the country. Many folks are dealing with this. I was able to speak with a gentleman the other day who said that his landlord's son jumped him on the other side of town. So um, this is the situation that some people find themselves in. It's not just a medieval surf situation where your landlord's going to kill you and steal your wife and children. I mean, right now, um, that situation might not be as severe here in the United States, but those situations do occur um, across the country, or excuse me, across the world, uh, in places where housing is uh, even more scarce and even more sparse than it is here. Um, physical violence uh, is never not off of the table for uh, the oppressors. So, anyways, um, talking about this kind of has me wondering how we want to go about approaching some of these problems. And of course, I've talked about uh, my inclination towards building mass organizations, commonly known as parties, uh, intended to take the sentiments of the masses of people and develop them into a uh, congruent and um, uh, forceful uh, grouping, which is then able to do more than each of them would be able to do on their own. Um, now, I believe this especially because um, of, you know, a few reasons. First and foremost, I am a Marxist, and so because of this, I believe that uh, the ideas of historical materialism and dialectical materialism allow me to study the past and what has been able to develop and successfully uh, take hold of the energy of the masses and be able to deliver them into an actual liberatory struggle which gives them the power that they require in order to solve the issues which only they can know how to solve and be able to solve themselves as they are the people who will suffer from these issues themselves and so um, that's the first reason and the second reason is because I believe in the masses of the people I think that it as you know I alluded to in the first point um, I think it's only the masses of people themselves who suffer from the issues that are directly uh, built into the foundation of the capitalist system, the contradictions among the rich and the poor, the owners and the workers, the haves and the have-nots, the landlords and the renters, the police and the citizens, the politicians and the voters, the judges and the uh, convicted felons or the uh, supposedly innocent until proven guilty who end up oftentimes seemingly being uh, treated as guilty until proven innocent as folks like um um you know this uh past few days uh mumia abu jamal just celebrated uh unfortunately 40 years uh locked up um and uh, Leonard Peltier, very similarly, just spent uh, yet another year in uh, prison for uh, what the United States denies it has, which is being a political prisoner. 
Um, there's plenty more names to uh, roll off the tongue, which, um, you know, folks such as um, uh, By Any Means Necessary, um, what other groups? There's plenty of great content creators like Afro-Marxist, Black Red Guard, um, uh, Rad Reads. Plenty of folks uh, do a great job showcasing uh, black, brown, and indigenous peoples' uh, struggles here within uh, Turtle Island, the settler colonial state known as the United States. Uh, and so it is quite incredible to think that uh, sometimes people think, you know, for good reason, the system is built in a way that it's meant to suppress us, it's meant to hold us down, it's meant to create instability, inequality, and suffering within our lives. So it's quite natural to expect that people will, A, um, either remain ignorant to the system for their own mental benefit and, you know, through uh, systemic propaganda and physical direct action, which is intended to, uh, quote-unquote, keep the peace. Um, and also, uh, B, you have folks who are aware of the situation, but feel as if nothing can really be done, who become hopeless. And so I think that, you know, option B is where a lot of folks who would call themselves probably leftists, maybe even, you know, your select few liberals and sock dems and the like, uh, not that they're the folks that I'm quite fond of discussing with, nor do I feel that that is a realm in which anyone should be spending a majority of their time. But if you have a friend that really likes Bernie Sanders or really thinks that um, um, Elizabeth Warren could be the ticket or something, you know, uh, if you're if if you have friends who really do still believe in these individuals, I would implore you to have genuine conversations with them. Um, you are a human being with information of your own and a mouth to speak. So if you, uh, you know, intend to, A, see a better world and you uh, intend to hold to your principles, I find that the most easy thing that anyone can do is have a conversation. So although it's terrifying for many different reasons, uh, right now, actively indigenous, black, uh, and Chicano, Latinx, Asian, uh, uh, Palestinian, uh, uh, and other um, groups of individuals within the United States are having to do far more than just to have conversations. They're having to physically fight with their bodies for land, for jobs, for uh, drinking water, um, for those who you don't know at uh, the Red Hill oil facility in Hawaii, which is uh, what, where there uh, is this a 250 million gallon oil drum positioned quite intelligently directly above one of the main aquifers within the region. And uh, for those folks who don't know, I believe that this is uh, the facility often known as Pearl Harbor, where this oil drum is located. And um, about, I think it was a few decades ago, originally, the, uh, I don't know, there's a, there's a, I, I will plug the, um, 
episode here. Uh, it's the Empire Files Red Hill, uh, Red Alert at Red Hill. Um, and then there was also an episode, I think, of By Any Means Necessary, where it was covered. Um, let me see if I can find the name of it. <clears throat> Anyways, um, so essentially what ended up happening is there is now uh, a 27,000 gallon leak within the main aquifer, which uh, only truly came to be public knowledge uh, through the re multiple reports of military families uh, smelling gas coming from their water, going to the doctors and reporting vomiting, uh, headaches, other kinds of ailments from drinking the water. And uh, what does the Navy do? They tell them, oh, flush if you just let the system run, it'll flush out. No, that's not how that works. Um, the Navy also knew about this as far back as October, uh, and it wasn't until November that a story broke, and it wasn't until only a few days ago that, uh, again, these military families began reporting the physical ailments. But indigenous peoples there have been reporting on this for decades. The facility has been there for 80 years, and upon first being built, uh, there was actually an earthquake only a few years within the first um, few years of the facility being there. And so um, indigenous people have known for a long time that um, you, uh, you fuck with uh, earth, you fuck with the way in which uh, the human uh, experience is uh, connected to uh, the environment around us. Um, if you fuck with that, you're going to cause damage that, um, you know, in a lot of cases is irreversible. And so um, the uh, lead officials in Hawaii are uh, imploring people to stop uh, using the water coming out of their sink, coming out of their shower. And so uh, this is a huge problem because although people surely can get, you know, bottled water for a time being, this was a main water source for a long period of time before this facility was even here. And so to think that now this water source is just about all but designated as unusable, um, what will Hawaiians do when uh, the United States wants to demand that this is the 50th country, or excuse me, 50th state within the country, and yet one of the, probably the 50th, uh, least uh, cared about, uh, least uh, um, supported, least uh, truly, um, in, in any case whatsoever, this, it, this would be a pipe dream too for plenty of reasons. Because first and foremost, uh, Hawaiians don't want that. They want sovereignty. They want to return back to control of their own nation and uh they've been demanding this for a long time but it's also a fever dream because of course they don't care they just that's the thing that's the thing about a capitalism and b colonialism if you're the person <coughs> with the money and with the power your intention is not to be passing that around so that everybody can share because then you have less money and you have less power 
Now, if you go ahead and build an entire system predicated on your continued uh, capture and growth of that wealth and power, then of course you're doubly as uh, disinterested in uh, redistribution of any kind. So this brings us to, to my point about everything. And then the last thing I'll say before I really get into it is I've been seeing and I continue to see consistent engagement with uh, reactionary and conservative content creators on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. And although I cannot tell anyone what to do and I don't, you know, really think that I have any authority to say, uh, I will speak for myself and say that it brought me so much miserableness, so much stress, and honestly, not much gain. And that could be just because, you know, the way I was doing it, it could be because uh, the information I was working with, etc. And other people can, if they would like, dedicate their time, energy, and, uh, you know, mental to debating and debunking conservative talking heads and uh, you know, content creators till they're blue in the face, and I will share it, and I will support, you know, the, uh, folk doing the debunking, um, in any way that I can, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I think that for the intelligence, the integrity, and the true dedication to justice that a lot of these people have and are using to spend all of their countless hours doing this. Um, my friends, it would be so much better to have you on, uh, you know, the leadership of a organization, or it would be so great to have you with a bullhorn in your hand leading a demonstration, you know? Um, that's what I think we need to be focusing on. And, uh, you know, it's obvious that the conservatives are hypocrites. They run their mouth and they say stupid stuff that they... Even if they truly believe it, there's no truth to it. And so the hypocrisy there is evident. And the irony is, is those are the people who oftentimes are going to, as everyone else is, continue to suffer under the system as things like uh, supply chains break down, as inflation continues, as housing prices go up, as jobs go, uh, you know, continuously uh, unavailable, and uh, as the situation gets worse, as the third worldization, as Michael Parenti called it, of the uh, imperialist core nations continues, not only just here in the U.S., but also in the other United Nations, such as France, Britain, uh, Canada, Germany, etc., um, we are seeing time and time again that the capitalist lies, the neoliberal band-aid and especially the conservative hypocrisy and the nature of uh, the system at large is not able to be uh, destroyed by word. And so although we must dedicate our time and energy to agitation and propaganda, we must also dedicate doubly as much time to organization, solidarity work, and uh, building a revolution because Ultimately, that is, uh, as history has shown, the only true option. And I would like to talk about this to close out the show, um, because I think that um, <clears throat> it, it can come off as 
I uh, ironic. It can come off as um, uh, I don't really like this term, but I think it it, it works. Virtue sig signaling. Uh, it comes off as um, you know, for some folks, white saviorish, uh, uh, Western chauvinist, um, class reductionist. There's plenty of ways in which the contradictions among the working class manifest themselves in the things that different members of the working class advocate for and the revolutionary uh, potentiality of different groups within the working class. But at the same time, I do think that, um, unfortunately, we, uh, for whatever, uh, you know, it's worth, uh, really do need to and truly have the ability to find ways to work among one another, I'm not necessarily saying we, you know, are going to get every single person built into this one party or every single type of person or every single group of people working towards one and one goal only. But ultimately, the end goal, you know, we are all doing our own work, which is going to encapsulate what we want to call a class struggle and is ultimately going to build a mass movement, which can then be, uh, you know, organized through different mass organizations who can work together for one purpose and one purpose only in that the end goal is the same. And that end goal is a revolution. Why? Oh, because I'm, you know, just a freaking nerd who reads theory and I'm just trying to tell you what's what, obviously. No, because folks as far and wide as, you know, Egypt, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, Russia, um, uh, South, you know, Africa, um, Angola, <clears throat> Cuba, Mexico, um, places all over the world, in Europe even, um, and here in the West, in the United States even, different groups of people have led incredibly revolutionary movements to truly liberate people from the capitalist system, from the racist settler colonial system, from the imperialist system. And so if this is the case, then we know that there are these contradictions among the working class, and we have to find ways to resolve them. Now, I had a friend of mine point out a great observation on uh, the commonly referred to in this situation, Rainbow Coalition, which was started by Chairman Fred of the Chicago Black Panther Party um, between different groups such as the Young Lords, the uh, Young Patriots, and other uh, different local organizations uh, to try to fight to unite their own uh, masses of people in order to combine their effort to build a revolution. And so, but, um, so that was the content creator, uh, Rad Reads, and they were basically making the point that this was not just a race-based thing. This wasn't just like, uh, you know, black versus brown versus white, or even black, uh, you know, together with brown and together with white folks. Um, it was, in fact, um, 
a nationhood struggle by different groups among the working class. And I will have to, you know, continue my conversation with uh, them as I uh, plan to, of course. They're <laughs> incredibly smart. It's awesome being able to meet so many great people because of this podcast. But anyways, um, that's kind of the difficulty. It's like we have to understand the ways in which we want to struggle. We have to understand how we relate to one another and how our struggles relate to one another because that is truly the materialist analysis of the situation is understanding the material relations between different groups between different forms of struggle between different forms of oppression and how to liberate people from them so anyways the system right as george jackson really clearly points out has three ways of denying the reality of the situation of the people so first and foremost it just straight up deny it you know if there's a story it's just going to come out and say no that's not true it's going to say you know these people are conspiracy theorists these people have no evidence these people don't know what they're talking about these people are marxist agitators and anarchist, you know, propagandists, and although that might be true, that doesn't mean they're wrong, nor does it mean that they're not working with any evidence or facts, you know, that's kind of like, to assume that this many people are just going on a limb and lying, you wish was, you know, a fever dream, but in fact, of course, we know that this is the entire basis to the uh, right wing. And, and to the, the supposedly moderate, centrist, liberal uh, field as well, because they too build their understanding of the reality on a lie. And so, anyways, the second way is through, uh, oh geez, I believe it was self-investigation, although I don't believe it was put in those terms. Which means it, you know, it's like when the FBI investigates the CIA, or even, you know, there's been reports before, there's been reports before of the CIA investigating the CIA and going, oh, we found no evidence of war crimes. We found no evidence of, you know, international law uh, breaking. And it's like, oh, geez, it's kind of like, um, you know, the loophole where in some um, municipalities of a police officer uh, has a lawsuit or a case filed against them for uh, police brutality or something of the like, the police union can go about finding ways to be the ones to reside over that case and therefore, of course, have every reason to find this or that person not guilty, whether the evidence points to that uh, consequence, or, uh, I should say, whether the evidence points to that, um, conclusion or not, uh, we know that this, among many other things, considering the entire system is built by the oppressors, and so therefore their, uh, lapdogs, their, uh, bullies, their goons, their bodyguards, their, you know, police are going to be protected, uh, nine times out of ten, uh, under the law. So, so what do we do? 
Well, you know, obviously I think that um, I kind of <clears throat> stick to quite the same line, which I would say is based on unity. Now that unity comes with, again, as we were talking about, contradictions which cannot be ignored. And so we have to find ways to build uh, revolutionary mass organizations that can relate to one another in a plural uh, multiple, multiple, meaning there's not going to be a unipolar leader. There's not going to be one group like, say, the Security Council of the United Nations or like um, uh, NATO or OPEC, who is the ultimate deciding factor on an entire uh, form of, you know, dictatorial rule whether we want to call it that or not. So, we <clears throat> obviously know that they're the ones in power. I mean, that's the issue, right? Is like, the folks who aren't doing what we need them to do are the ones who hold the reins currently and are the ones who get to decide what it is that this country does and that other countries do. So then a very clear objective presents itself to us, which is the fact that we need to find ways to be able to uh, take out from under these uh, oppressors the power and the rule that they have over uh, the world. Now, of course, this takes many different forms, has taken many different forms throughout different periods of time in history. But we have also within that history some quite uh, clear patterns of ways in which that were successful to actually leading the struggle towards true self-determination and true uh, democracy in the sense that the masses of people were a truly the ones who they themselves made up the administration the state and took uh, power into their own hands that is the prerequisite uh, and b the people themselves were able to remain critical of those masses of people within the government that the power structure was kept in question and that through elections through uh, you know, open uh, legal forms of demonstrations through, um, you know, even, uh, uh, you know, open uh, participation with the masses of people in uh, councils, in debates, in uh, legislative processes in a way that the United States and other uh, Western powers have no true understanding of. Uh, of when they labeled themselves as the bastions of democracy, uh, the question becomes democracy for who? Because democracy does not mean in this country one person, one vote. It does not mean, uh, you know, the masses of people are the ones who are capable of uh, administrating the government themselves. It does not mean that the uh, corporations, the banking firms, the military industrial complex, the private prisons, the uh, extractive corporations, the uh, polluters, the, uh, you know, uh, exploitative class is held accountable. It does not mean that 
the law, the judicial uh, uh, system is uh, benevolent towards the masses and uh, harsh on the true oppressors. For example, let us not forget what is happening with the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, um, where you know the question becomes is there a mass movement capable of holding these people accountable if and when the court finds them not guilty uh is there a mass movement that is going to be able to <clears throat> wield consequences against the uh ruling class when julian assange uh mumia abu jamal uh among others um uh are uh you know killed or you know basically killed uh through their uh suppression in concentration camps as folks like george jackson um um uh leonard peltier um and plenty of others have had to suffer themselves like <clears throat> is there a force that is going to be able to hold these folks accountable that is the real question and so if we do not believe that there is, we run up against a wall and we have two options. We can stop, turn around and put our arms out and say, yes, sir, and let the class war keep on engaging uh, uh, and, and let them keep killing our, you know, fellow exploited and oppressed people. Oh, shit, I didn't really go into that. We're going to talk about that at the end then real quick. But anyways, um, or... We can try to scale the fence. And, you know, option 2B is scale the fence, you know, grab uh, uh, a boomstick and and take at it, you know, get, get the guns, arm the masses, and go for it and have our revolution. Um, but ultimately, that comes down to a moment in time that comes down to a concrete uh, decisive understanding of concrete conditions, and that can only come from the masses <clears throat> of people organized, educated, and properly mobilized against the ruling class, and that is something that we need to build. And so that's really what I wanted to hit on, but I don't think I really went into, which is the fact that the class war is constantly going on. Uh, even if we don't see it, if it's hidden from us, if we don't understand it, the ruling class is constantly finding new ways every single day to ensure that they are in control, that they are the wealthy, that they exploit, that they take advantage of the masses, that they continue to become more powerful and more wealthy, and ultimately able to control more land, more resources, and destroy the earth further. But even still, we must understand that the political systems that exist here within the United States need to be um, properly understood, and we, to need, we need to understand either A, how to participate in them, or B, how to work against them, and that is only something that an organized mass movement can fully make a decision upon. I think the tactical decision of either participating in politics or not can come in local, uh, you know, uh, sources, but ultimately I don't believe that anyone has the uh, overarching say, other than the fact that, like, for example, Marx says elections are that one chance every four years where the uh, oppressed class gets to decide who it is that will represent their oppressors. Um, and ultimately, uh, until the masses of people themselves, again, are able to uh, hold the positions of power and able to administrate the roles of the state and the government in order to... <clears throat> 
uh, take hold of the resources, the labor force, and the uh, political structures for the people themselves and through the use of the people's own uh, participation themselves. Um, only then can we truly say that any democracy exists and any elections are truly uh, worth participating in in any you know substantial principled way. Tactically, you know, as a uh, individually based strategy, uh, it can be said that maybe you know this or that election is worth participating in. But ultimately, my entire point is that the class war exists outside of what we consist consider the uh, open uh, field of struggle, such as the uh, economic and political spheres. The uh, non-explicit forms of oppression and exploitation are happening on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, they can be hidden through misinformation. They can be hidden through uh, a development of a system which normalizes the uh, mass death of hundreds of thousands of people from an inadequate healthcare system. Uh, or, you know, also it can be said that the same goes for an education system which consistently uh, miseducates its entire working class uh, students about the reality of the world and then also feeds its private, uh, more privileged students the uh, encouragement and Euro-American-centric idealism that leads them to become puppets of that very same system. But if we want to fight that, we have to find ways to actually take it down because, unfortunately, the reality of the situation is that reforms, albeit can lead, you know, to uh, incremental forms of possibly, you know, uh, more um, uh, perceivably stable situations, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the people... Uh, can see those stable situations uh, evoked in an instant, and ultimately that is the reason why we have to take control, because under a planned economy with a proletarian dictatorship, you cannot see the same form of inequality and instability as you see under the capitalist system, or at least you would have least of an inclination to see so. And so Wrapping up here, I think that we all know what needs to be done. We need to be building a revolution. And what that means is we need to be building revolutionary politics. We need to be building a revolutionary mass movement. We need to be encouraging people to uh, take up self-defense. We need to be encouraging people to learn who it is that stands with them and who stands against them. It means that we have to educate people on the system that is capitalism and how it has created colonialism, imperialism racism, sexism, transphobia, Islamophobia, religious extremism, etc. We have to understand that um, this system, capitalism, is the economic base that leads to a superstructure full of a plethora of symptomatic diseases and illnesses. But ultimately, our only hope at eradicating this system is through the dictatorship of the proletariat which ultimately and necessarily historically has led to socialist revolutions. Not because I say so, not because I'm a Marxist, not because some people wrote books about it, because if you look historically at countries around the world, this is the path that they have led towards. And so therefore we must understand that we have to build uh, massive proletarian movements that are international, that are fighting for a true 
revolutionary takeover of the system at large and a destruction of the apparatus known as the capitalist state. We have to see a new dictatorship built, which becomes the true administration of the government by the people for the people, which will eventually be able to tackle the contradictions and antagonisms that also exist among the masses. Again, we cannot ignore that this is a reality of the situation, but it will not be able to be impacted in the same level and in the same revolutionary light unless the masses of people themselves are able to tackle the problem. So, my advice leaving the show, I would suggest that you join an organization. Whatever organization you can join that you agree with the politics, read the program through and through, you know, really take in what you think about the, the organization, what you've heard, study, investigate, you know, don't take anybody's word for it, do your own research, find ways in which to understand material reality through investigation yourself, um, participate in different, you know, organizations and figure out which ones seem to uh, put word to action, and then from that point forward, see how you can participate within that organization. And if and when your time comes, when you need to step away, step away, but be sure to step into another organization. Because as Kwame Nkrumah says, and as Kwame Ture points out, action presupposes organization, because individual action leads to death, it leads to incarceration, it leads to exile, it leads to martyrdom and even martyrdom most importantly becomes just a symbol and whether or not a symbol is important is not the question whether or not a symbol can change material reality is and so therefore we need unity not just in word not just in immediate action but also in thought we need unity in both action and theory which is called praxis we need <clears throat> unity in a truly proletarian sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. We need unity in a way that I don't think the world has ever seen. And I think that the only way that it will see it is if and when the people of Africa, the people of Asia, the people of Latin America, the people of <coughs> Turtle Island um, rise up and overthrow their capitalist overlords. And it will only be then that we can truly see the building blocks of a new socialist or, you know, if you like, revolutionary society. But we need to begin scripting what that looks like today. Otherwise, we we will we will betray our future selves and we will betray the masses in leaving open a vacuum in a hole for the ruling class to swing back from the pendulum and take power once again and so we need to be building everything that will be necessary in a revolutionary government today so that when we have our revolution when the and what I mean by that we're actively building the revolution now this is a protracted struggle we must understand this it takes time it is uh, <clears throat> clearly understood as a series of uh, movements as all 
uh, history is an <clears throat> exchange between contradictions and antagonisms known as the class struggle. But our revolution will strike uh, more directly when the masses of people take arms into their hands. And uh, as uh, Marxists far and wide have said, uh, lead the revolution to its logical conclusion. Not that the show advocates violence, of course, that is, you know, terrible, and I would never. But, um, yeah, so go join some organizations, talk to your folks about this shit, get your friends involved, talk to your co-workers about building a union, shout out to the Starbucks uh, in Buffalo, shout out to uh, the uh, workers there, and just remember that it is us, the people, who are the true agents of the revolution, and so if we want to see the world change, we have to take the situation into our own hands. So let us take also <clears throat> each other's hands, and in doing so, let us change the world. Uh, I'd like to give a big shout out to the Soul Jazz Orchestra for allowing me to sample their track, Greet the Dawn, which is on the album Resistance, which you can find on uh, iTunes, um, Spotify, and elsewhere. Um, you can also check out their website by Googling the Soul Jazz Orchestra. Um, shout out to you folks. Thank you so much. I uh, am very excited to finally have an intro song. I would like to say also shout out to a great friend of mine, Val, who might come on the show, who at one point made me a song, but somehow or another I never ended up using it because I think ultimately I'm a piece of shit and forgot. But uh, yeah, um, thank you to you both. Um, and let us hear that one more time. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you folks are well. Stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, stay revolutionary, and we will see you next time. Peace. There's a better way of life for the workers in the poor. Come, brothers and sisters, we don't wait for. Dance finally come. Come brothers and sisters, we're the double way across.